0: Welcome to Dave's Devos. I'm Dave Herman. I recommend that you have your Bible open to the passage we'll be reflecting on so that you can read along and make connections that may not be evident from listening alone. Genesis 21, 1 20. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because she is your offspring." So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went down and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. Before we discuss this passage about Hagar and Ishmael in Genesis 21, let's back up to view the story about Sarah, her husband Abraham, and their slave Hagar. Today, we're looking at the idea of place, As we go through this story together, let's think about how when God calls us to a new place, how hard it is to leave the place we've known. How hard it is to trust God to lead us to a new place. And how hard it is, once we've arrived, to not let go of God who brought us there. Back in Genesis 12. Yahweh called Abraham out of his homeland to go to a land that God would reveal to him, promising that in doing so, God would make him a mighty nation and bless the nations of the world through him. God called Abraham to leave not only his geographical location, but his entire identity behind, everything he had ever known to entrust his future to Yahweh. God wanted Abraham to see how Yahweh would meet all of his needs not Abraham's old family or old gods or old societal norms. Today, this may be like leaving your house to never again see your job or your extended family or any of your friends ever again and permanently getting moved to a completely different country you didn't choose, whose language you don't know, and whose cultural norms are totally unfamiliar. When have you been moved to a completely different land? Or are you currently being stirred to move to a new unknown phase in life now and you're resisting? Abraham resisted too. And even though he and Sarah physically left their homeland of Ur, they kept trying to apply their old way of operating in the world to the new way that God was showing them. Abraham arrived in the land of Canaan as a complete foreigner. Even though Abraham was in charge of over 300 trained men and more people and animals, Abraham did not have an heir. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham that one of his own sons will be his heir. But we find out in Genesis 16, his wife Sarah couldn't bear children. So Abraham thought, How could I become a mighty nation if Sarah cannot bear children? Instead of trusting that God would bring about his promise, Sarah wanted Abraham to have children by their slave Hagar, and he agreed. In failing to trust God to fulfill his promise, they presumed the knowledge of good and evil upon themselves. Abraham and Sarah used Hagar, who had no choice in the matter. This exploited slave had nothing in this world that Sarah didn't have but a fertile womb. So when Hagar became pregnant, She finally had what her mistress Sarah so greatly desired, and viewed Sarah with contempt. She finally found something to use to look down on her mistress. Sarah became jealous and mistreated Hagar, who ran away into the wilderness. Imagine the pain of shame that Sarah felt being unable to bear children, and how she thrust that pain on Hagar in treating her like a vessel for Sarah's child. Hagar got unwillingly rejected out of everything she had ever known. When Adam and Eve sinned, God thrust them out of his presence. When Abraham and Sarah sinned, they thrust Hagar out of their presence. She became a casualty of their sin because they would not trust God to lead them to the fulfillment of God's promise. Might we be blaming someone else for something that we've done? The distressed Hagar escaped into the wilderness where the angel of Yahweh met her by a spring of water to encourage her. The angel promised Hagar a son who will father a multitude of descendants. Hagar named that spring Bir Lahai Roy, the well of the God who sees. She later named her son Ishmael, which means God hears. The God who sees and hears returned with the mistreated Hagar as she rejoined Abraham and Sarah's household, and God rewarded Hagar by giving her a son. At the same time, God had not forgotten about his promise to Abraham. God tells Abraham in Genesis 17 that the son of the promise will be born through Sarah. God had never overlooked Sarah after all. At hearing God's promise that Sarah would give birth at 90 years old, Abraham laughed. So God said, you shall call your son Isaac, which means he laughs. Later in Genesis 18, Yahweh speaks the promise again. Sarah overheard and she laughed. When Isaac was born, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Both Abraham and Sarah's laughter had been one of amused skepticism Now their laughter was one of joyous fulfillment. What has God promised you to which you've responded with laughter? That'll be the day, or yeah, I don't think so. Preserve in what God has revealed because when the promise is fulfilled, God will turn your laughter of incredulity into a laughter of joy at the wonder of fulfillment. Now that Isaac was born, did Abraham and Sarah believe they had arrived at the fulfillment of the promise? After all, Sarah bore a son at the age of 90. After this wonder, surely they must now trust that God will fulfill his promise of blessing through Isaac. Sadly, that wasn't the case. Since Ishmael was a legal heir to Abraham, Sarah saw him in Hagar as a threat. When Abraham held a festival for young Isaac, Sarah saw Ishmael laughing with Isaac, and it set her off. That's a laughter that Abraham and I shared together for Isaac, she thought. That's laughter for us and no one else. That's why Sarah said to Abraham in verse 10, and listen closely here, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. She did not want the competition. Of Hagar and Ishmael. Now did you hear that? She doesn't even name Hagar or Ishmael, only her son Isaac. Again, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. When we feel angry or threatened, other human beings who have names instead become that bum or that freeloader or that idiot. Sarah used her elite status as the mistress of the household and, with her words, reduced Hagar to her lowest status, this slave woman. Sarah believed her son Isaac's inheritance was threatened because Hagar was technically Abraham's wife. But it was Sarah's decision to make Hagar Abraham's wife in the first place. Abraham and Sarah had treated Hagar as subhuman using her as a baby incubator, and then they rejected her because she wasn't chosen like them. Abraham and Sarah, the recipients of God's promise, were given the ability to use their status to welcome others and speak life, but they chose to reject Hagar and speak death to her. God has given us each power in different ways too. In what communities in our lives do we have influence, or what skills do we have more than others? Whatever we have been blessed with, God wants us to use that to bless others. Instead, we're often like Abraham and Sarah. We despise others after creating the very conditions for which we despise them. In the U.S., we make laws against immigration and then use those very laws as an excuse to despise the people who immigrate. Regardless of our stance on the justice of the laws, how do we view the humanity of the people who break the laws? Do we use the one-size-fits-all epithet illegals? We make an epithet when we choose one attribute of a person and use that word to make it their whole identity. When it's a negative attribute, we reduce their whole identity and take away their humanity in our eyes. People can't be illegal. People may have done something that a country deems illegal, but people aren't illegal. When we make someone's entire identity about the quality we dislike the most about them, it's easy to dismiss their humanity. But to recognize the whole person is a much more difficult path and the one we are called to do in love. We can also reduce the humanity of people we've never met. In other areas of the world, people are exploited with cheap labor to make clothing and food ingredients for us in wealthier countries. If we know about their conditions and don't change our behavior that enables this exploitation, We are letting them remain faceless humans, those slaves. We view our chosenness of living in a relatively wealthy nation as a right and reject their humanity with our willful ignorance. Without compensating them fairly, every one of those mistreated workers is a Hagar that we use and kick out into the wilderness. Verses 11-13 to And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. In response to Sarah's demand, God reminds Abraham that he will oversee Hagar and Ishmael but also oversee Abraham and Sarah. In this conflict, God preserves Abraham and Sarah's marriage, the promise to Isaac, the lives of Hagar and Ishmael, and the promise to Ishmael. Even in the midst of complex conflicts, the God who sees and hears makes sure that even the lowliest are seen and heard. Verses 14-16, to 16, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child and as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Abraham sending her away is the same Hebrew term for divorce, which essentially Abraham did, cutting off Ishmael's claim to the inheritance and simultaneously ending Hagar's slavery. Hagar wandered in the wilderness once more. This time she came to Beersheba, which means well of the oath, this well wasn't named Beersheba until later in the chapter when Abraham names it. But the writer includes the name here, too, on purpose. It's because the last time Hagar was wandering, the angel appeared by the well beer Roy, well of the God who sees, who predicted the destiny of her son Ishmael, which means God hears. Now that Hagar is wandering again, her circumstances bring to mind her previous wandering in the wilderness by a well. She is reminded that Yahweh is still the God who sees and the God who hears. And now, at the well of the oath, she is reminded that Yahweh, the God who sees and who hears, will fulfill the oath he made the last time she was alone at a well in the wilderness. Verses 17-19 to 19. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Even though the recipients of the promise, Abraham and Sarah, overlooked Hagar, the God who sees and hears made sure Hagar wasn't overlooked and unheard. Abraham had willingly left everything he had ever known and had to rely on Yahweh in Genesis 12 to receive God's promise. But in Genesis 21 here, Hagar unwillingly left everything she had ever known and had to rely on Yahweh, receiving a promise of her own. Yahweh wasn't only the God of Abraham. He was God of the rejected Hagar too. The angel showed her the well from which Ishmael could drink to be revived and live to fulfill the promise God had made to Hagar when he was still in her womb. Verse 20, And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. From that day onward, Ishmael not only survived, he thrived. God chose Abraham's lineage, but here we see God blesses any person of faith who comes to him. Why couldn't Abraham and Sarah see that in Hagar? well, it appears that Abraham and Sarah found it hard to leave their old understanding of the gods they could control. They also found it hard to let God lead them into a new understanding and hurt Hagar in the process. Finally, once God fulfilled his promise through Isaac's birth, they let go of God in rejecting Hagar and Ishmael because they got what they wanted. Many, many generations later, Jesus and his disciples encountered another Gentile mother, a Syrophoenician who begged Jesus to cast a demon out of her daughter. She wasn't the descendant of Abraham, she wasn't the chosen race. So to test her, Jesus first responded under the chosen mindset. Let the children be fed first, he said, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But this Syrophoenician woman, like Hagar, wanted to be part of the chosen community anyway, even if it meant humbling herself. She answered him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus answered and healed her daughter. This Syrophoenician woman, who like Hagar, was outside the community of Abraham, received the promise of Abraham, just like Hagar, Because the recipients of the promise aren't necessarily those who shared Abraham's blood, but those who share Abraham's God. So remember, even the people of God are guilty of turning away those whom God wants to bless. We are blessed in order to be a blessing, not to keep it for ourselves. How do you view your chosenness? whether it's the chosenness of being part of the community of faith or of being part of the world who has relative wealth or something else? Do you think you can obtain and preserve it with your own means like Abraham and Sarah attempted to do? Or will you use your chosenness for the sake of those outside your community expecting to see God blessing others in ways that you've never seen before? thanks for listening to another episode of dave's devos if you'd like to hear more visit my other podcast herman's sermons to get in touch about speaking opportunities please email davesdevos@gmail.com. at gmail.com you can also help by leaving a review on itunes once again thank you for listening and i'll be back next week